everyone. My name's Hannah. And I'm Abby. And we are the, the Homegirl Hustlers. We are here to be your guides on how to adjust your mindset, lifestyle, and habits to become the best version of yourself and pursue your passion without limits. Welcome back, Homegirl Hustlers. We are so excited to be back with you guys this week with our special guest. Our special guest is Budget Girl. Her name is Sarah, and she has created and ran her successful brand, Budget Girl, which is a popular YouTube channel. She has over 96,000 subscribers and Instagram as well with over 55,000 followers. Sarah is just a 31-year-old professional who paid off $33,000 of student loan debt in three years on just $26,000 salary and documented the many ups and downs all through her weekly vlogs. That was definitely taken from her YouTube channel because her YouTube channel is where it's at, guys. Budget Girl helps people reach their financial goals by providing tips on paying off debt, saving money, and making money. She helps people take control of their money and take control of their lives. She has been featured on CNBC, BuzzFeed, Business Insider, and so much more. You gotta listen in on this episode because she's gonna give us tips on how to start taking action steps to take control of your finances and your life. This episode is for you guys to really listen in and to get tips and advice on all of this. We're so excited to welcome Sarah. Hi, thank you guys for having me. Yes, thank you for coming and joining us today. Super exciting intro, super excited to talk to you. I know that a lot of women, men, anybody in their 20s, us hustlers, we sometimes are focused on making money and not enough on saving money, on how to invest our money and how to treat our money as something that is also of just as much value as this hustle culture might be. So we are super excited to hear all about you and we want to start with you telling us about why you decided to start documenting your journey and where you came up with your name slash brand. Absolutely. So before we came online, we were actually talking a little bit about this. I was freshly out of a job a few years post-college and I had all this student loan debt that I was just kind of deferring because the government said I didn't make enough. And like I said, got laid off, no fault of my own. And I had to move to a whole new state where I didn't know anyone. And I was just so scared at that time. If you've ever been unemployed, you know that like deep fear. And especially with like a semi-fresh degree, you're like, why did I do all of this with all this student loan debt looming? And so I told myself, once I get a new job, I'm going to figure this money thing out. So I moved to a brand new town in Louisiana. I started a job not making much, 26000 a year pre-tax at a newspaper. And I didn't really know anyone. So I opened up YouTube and I was looking for financial help and resources. And at the time there were two channels called Debt is Dumb, which is no longer around three, actually Frugal Debt-Free Life and one called His and Her Money. And all of these were like couples that were talking about their personal finances. And so I was single, I was low income, didn't really relate to it. So I sat up my phone on a bunch of books and started talking about all my debt and how I was going to get rid of it. I needed community. And thankfully for everyone listening, the personal finance community has grown so much online. There is a person out there that is at your age range, your lifestyle, your stage of life that you're in that will speak to some of the issues that you're probably having that you're going to be able to relate to and garner some tips and information from that can help you move forward along your journey. So it's 
so fantastic that that is in place now, but that is why I started. And I called myself Budget Earl because I knew that a budget was going to be the way that I got myself out of debt. And essentially, I know it's not everyone's favorite word, but by writing down what money's coming in and what's going out, you really do kind of take the reins. You take control of your money. And then it's no longer things are just happening to you. You are deciding where your money's going, what it's doing, regardless of how little or how much is coming in. You get to make those decisions with the budget. I've never heard of a budget being spoken of so positively than I just did. Like ever. (laughs) And that's what I love. I love hearing it like that. It's like taking control. It doesn't have to be negative. There's so much guilt around money, especially among people who don't really have a lot. And it's so easy for people to say like, you know, get rid of the $5 a day latte. First off, it's $7 now. Thank you very much. And second of all, people who are really struggling are not spending five to $7 a day on a latte. And if they are buying an occasional latte, it's, that's not what's hurting them. There are some societal issues at play. There is stagnant wages. There is rapidly increasing rent prices. Our wages are not going up and we have more debt than ever because college has gone up 137% since our parents went. Isn't that fun? Yeah, isn't that fun? The latte is not the problem, ladies and gentlemen. So those occasional small purchases that can actually help refresh you, re-enthuse you, the latte is not the problem. Well, and my question is, what if you are an avid Starbucks girl and you go and you're, and you're trying to pay off your student loan debt and all that stuff, and there's things like Starbucks that you go and you frequent every single morning and you buy that cup of coffee every morning and it's not just once in a while. What do you think about that same opinion or? So part of budgeting and taking control of our money is figuring out what habits are worth it. And sometimes you have to take a realistic look at how much money is going out. If you're spending 60% of what's coming in on things like lattes and clothes and you're not paying your student loans or you're putting that on credit cards and it's just putting you deeper into debt, then yeah, the morning latte is a problem. I'm talking about- (laughs) The once in a while treat yourself to a five to $7 treat, like yeah. What I was getting at is that a budget can give you freedom. So you can actually budget for fun. You can budget for Starbucks. And as long as you're meeting your other money goals, then you can enjoy that latte guilt-free. I love that. I love how she's speaking on this. Okay, guys, like the inner money number nerd in me is just like crying right now. I really love this positive talk because people don't realize when you lay it out, it's like you have a bucket and you're emptying it out every time you want something. And you just have to figure out what are you going to empty it out in? So like people be like, oh, like example that even we found ourselves guilty is like, oh, she does her nails a lot. And it's like, well, is that where she decided to put that money or does she want to put that money towards something else? Like maybe mine is my hair, you know, like nobody knows what you're sacrificing for those things that you're selecting in your life. And I love it. The positive talk. Yes. I honestly believe that you can afford anything you want over time. If you're willing to save for it, if you're willing to sacrifice other things for it, then you can afford to travel. You could afford clothes, but you can't afford everything you want. The key with that was sacrificing. I like how you put that. You can sacrifice other things for the things that you really desire and want. It matters what you value. So here's the thing. I 
couldn't give less of a crap what I drive. I would more than happily drive beater cars until the day I die. There are some people who cars are like their thing. Their personality is into cars. They love like the ins and outs, whereas somebody else might really love getting their nails done or really love fashion. But once you're trying to aspire to a lifestyle that you can't necessarily afford and you want the least car and you want all the fashion and you want your nails done all the time and you're doing all of this like hot girl expensive shit, if that isn't what matters to you, then you need to kind of roll back on some of that spending. If so that you can then spend on the things that matter to you and really bring you joy and life. That's almost like the personal thing of like, am I just spending money to, and that's what Abby said with Miami, Mm -hmm. am I just spending money to impress people Yeah. or am I spending money because I actually enjoy these things? And that's like you said, where I find my joy. Wow. That was good. That was really good. Okay. So our next question is, this is a basic one, but for the girl that just started budgeting for her life, what are some initial steps she can take? And, you know, it can seem overwhelming, but where does she start? Okay, you start with figuring out what type of budget works for you and your brain. So there are so many different options out there. Some people are pen and paper people where they need to write down every time they get paid and then write down every time that they spend money. There are apps out there. Some are free, some are paid, every dollar YNAB. I am a spreadsheet girl, which I know sounds complicated, but it was because there wasn't enough room for notes and other things. And I like writing little things down. So you figure out what type of budget works for you and that you can stick with. Because if you just write down how much money is coming in and is going out, or if you just write down the plan for your money, a budget, and then you don't follow through with that, that's just scrap paper. So what do you recommend? Like, do you have anything? I know you said Excel. Do you recommend Mm -hmm. anything else? So I've got a free Google Sheets, which is like an Excel budget on my website, which people can go download absolutely 100% free. And there's a guide on how to use it. I've used it for eight years to pay off $33,000 worth of debt and now get my net worth up to over 200K. It is fantastic, but not everyone's like that. A app, pen and paper, there are also free budgeting forms you can download there. The trick is to find a budget that you can keep coming back to throughout the month and reconcile. So you make a plan to spend about $200 on eating out. And then every week or every day when you spend money on eating out, you come back and you subtract that number that you spend. Not 30 days later, you go back and say, whoopsie, I spent $600 on eating out. So how often do you recommend doing that every day or every week? For a beginner budgeter, I recommend writing down what you spent every single day. And with my Google Sheets budget, you can actually have it on the drive app on your phone and you can go in immediately and put that in and see how much money you have left in each category. Now, here's a really important part. Your first couple of budgets, if you've never done it before, are probably going to fail, which is life. That's okay. We have to learn from that. Don't get discouraged. It's because you probably don't know actually what you're spending right now. So a lot of people start a budget and I see this with families all the time. They're like, oh, I spend like $200 on groceries for my family of six. And then they blow that in the first grocery shopping trip and they get really discouraged and they're like, budgeting is not for me. You have to start out with a realistic budget for your life. So if you're spending $800 on grocery a month, you don't then try for the next month to spend $200. That's just setting yourself up for guilt and fear and desperation and sadness with money. You have to start with maybe the 800, then maybe go to 750 and figure out some ways to actively change 
your budget to move the needle. And honestly, sometimes it's an income thing. Sometimes you're not making enough to cover all of your walls and then you have to make some bigger choices. Maybe trading in your car if you have a big note on it every month for something that's more affordable and then slowly saving up for something that is what you want. Maybe changing insurance companies, maybe even where you move, looking for extra work side hustles. A lot of times you can only save so much, but the potential to increase your income is almost infinite. Wow. Someone giving me financial advice say something along those terms. And I was like, eh, because they were like, you know, you can always just make more money. And I was like, what do you mean? (laughs) So that's really easy to say to people. Let me, as someone who has had a lot of side hustles, that is really easy to say to people. But When you're struggling, when you've got more expenses than you currently have money coming in, just make more money is a really useless thing to tell someone. What is easier to tell someone is think about your skills and think about what opportunities you might have to make a little bit more money. And it doesn't have to be permanent. So when I was paying off debt, I went and delivered pizzas for a while. And that was not a long-term sustainable plan, but I did it for six months and was able to send several extra thousand dollars to debt. I trained dogs. I did secret shopping, which both put money in my pocket, spent some of my time that I would have otherwise spent doing things that might've cost money and fed me. (laughs) I did some horse trading. So I picked up things cheap or free off the side of the road, fixed them up and then sold them. You don't have to spend a ton of time doing these things and you can do it to what you have skills for. So if you're crafty and good with a paintbrush, maybe you could flip some furniture. If you're good with animals, maybe you could dog walk or dog sit and use an app like Rover to spend some of your free time doing that. You could secret shop. You could write for companies online. You need to take your existing skill sets And then try to figure out how you could potentially monetize them. And once again, you don't have to do this forever because this is going to take some of your time and some of your energy, but it could move the needle, especially when you have debt that you're trying to pay off. Once you pay off one of those debts, you can then snowball that payment into your next one until at the end of you not having debt anymore, you can then use that money to save and invest and actually build wealth. Absolutely. And may I say, it is more important now than ever for women to have our own money, not just to support ourselves and to be able to do what we want with our lives, to protect our loved ones, to get out of negative situations that we find ourselves in. It is a increasingly scary and dangerous world out there right now to be a woman. And money gives you options and money gives you power. And women need more of both of that. I love what you said, though, about the like the temporary part of that, because I think people get overwhelmed and they think, oh, if I'm going to start this side hustle and all this stuff, it's going to require all this work and it's going to be this whole extra business. It can literally be like setting up an Etsy shop or setting up a shop on something. Like I had a friend, she's selling her old clothes and making them look cute and putting a little shop together and selling her old clothes. Like, like and that's another way. I have a Poshmark. I only use it every once in a while, but it's a way for me when I have the time and the energy to get rid of some of my old stuff and not have to spend, you know, a ton of money on new stuff. It's a way to recycle some of my stuff back into money, which is so great when you can turn things that are existing in your life back into money. It's like magic. The way that you think is so smart too. Like, yeah. I love that. Oh, that was like my college trick. If I needed a dress for the weekend 
I'm selling something on Poshmark, I would flip like Chicago stuff and market it as something like vintage or rare. That's awesome. And I would sell like a seven dollar hat for like forty bucks. Because you made it or, like, cute. Sell my sneakers. You sold the lifestyle. Yeah, it literally marketing but yeah you don't know what you can love do. a depop hustler <laughs> yes so when i talk about building these additional side hustles it's about streams of income so have you guys heard of the table metaphor no but i will say just want to let you know we do have a specific question for you about multiple streams of income so i'm gonna let you go but just know gonna <laughs> it's, coming. it's gonna re- it's gonna come back Okay. So say my, my phone here is my life. My life is a table. Most people have one job that supports their lives. Now, if this job gets taken away, my table falls down. However, when you have multiple streams of income, if one stream of income goes away, your table is still supported. So I have my day job. I have my side hustle business, budget girl. I have investment income. I have real estate income. And I didn't build those in a day. I built those over years. But it allows me a certain amount of latitude that I'm not solely dependent on my day job or that if one of my streams of income goes away, I have all of these others to fall back on. And there is nothing more powerful than being able to exit a situation that is no longer tenable. And I have done this before because I have money and because I have options. I didn't grow up with money. I didn't have that starting out. I had to build that and I built it extremely slowly. You had to learn it. Yeah, I did. I had to learn it and I had to teach myself. And so starting with the budget, building streams of income, learning to streamline some of my expenses so I'm only spending on what is essential and important to me and kind of sacrificing some things in the interim so that I can set myself up for my future is, has been the most empowering thing I've ever done. Yes. I love that. And I think it's cool to know too, like you said, you didn't come from money, but I think it's not even about coming from money. It's about the lack of financial literacy that comes with not coming from money. And like that's something that's priceless. So amazing to see yeah, so many of us are starting so far behind. Everyone likes to say, you know, I have a, you have as many hours in a day as Beyonce. Beyonce has like generational wealth, a billion assistants. Like she's good. Don't worry about Beyonce. Worry about people whose parents lived paycheck to paycheck and therefore were never able to teach them how to manage money, save for an emergency. And every emergency that happened in their lives put them further and further into debt. Mm-hmm. For people who never learned that and, and then, then when they start get out- money if they do get money they don't know what to do with it and then it could all blow get blown in like a it's, week because they don't it's know why how to lottery winners almost always lose all of their money so starting with the foundation no matter what age you are no matter where you're starting money wise of figuring out how to write down your expenses your income and make a plan for every single cent that comes into your pocket is essential You can't wait for a man to do it for you. You can't wait for a family member to come and save you. It is up to you to teach yourself that if you never learned. And it is never too late to learn that. These are all just like, again, I've said their mic drop moments. I'm like, yes. So I think we can move on to the next question because I feel like we're answering some of the topics. The next question was, can you share your thoughts on multiple students of income, which you did really well. But how many do you have 
And do you have plans to add more as you grow? I think I have eight the last time I counted. I think I have eight. <laughs> I always forget one and it's always a different one. So there's the day job. There's the day job. I have my business budget girl, which has multiple streams of income as of itself because I make money off of YouTube through sponsorships, through like AdSense. I have my website, which is also monetized. I recently started making money off of Instagram reels, which is super fun. And then I also do a little bit of money coaching. I have an Etsy shop where I sell digital products. So it's a very passive form of income, which I highly recommend. I have, I have my duplex. So I have long-term real estate income. And recently within the past six months, I started a Airbnb, which was a vintage camper that I renovated. So that's a short-term rental stream of income. How many is that? You're even like categorizing it as short-term it's like short, this is my short term. This is long term. This is, I mean, you were even categorizing it as you went, which I think is awesome. Well, it's degrees of passivity. So my long-term rental, just the money comes in every month. Very occasionally I might have to go fix a garbage disposal or like have something done. Short term, however, is a lot more active. Whereas I'm constantly screening people coming in requests, dispatching cleaners and updating and it's dealing with the tenants as they're there. If they don't know how to work the shower, they message me at midnight kind of thing. Their short-term and long-term rentals have very different sets of requirements for your time, which is good to know if you're trying to get into real estate. Because you could, you could honestly like get into it and then be like, oh, wow, I bit off way more I could chew and get overwhelmed. And and I've seen people do that a lot. I have a friend locally who wants to turn three units of his into short-term and he's been doing them as long-term and he's constantly complaining about how much his tenants want from him. And I'm like, man, (laughs) short-term might not be for you then (laughs) because, because they, they text you constantly. (laughs) You can have as many guides as you want, but they're, they're going to constantly, I mean, I get it when I'm in an Airbnb, if I can't figure out how something works, how else are you going to figure it out? You text the person. Yeah. Or you look at the guest guide that's there and I emailed to you. (laughs) Sorry. Sorry. The first one. I can feel the emotion. <laughs> no, most of my Airbnb guests have been fantastic. I have a couple of fun mini horror stories, but it's been a really fun adventure, especially doing it in a vintage camper, which is a lot different than a house. <laughs> so you have to like teach people how to use, use it. it. I'm it sure is. it's all in your guide. It is all in the guide. However, more than happy to do it. It's a really cute space. The camper is called the Ag Wagon because I like to, I know how to market myself and it's on social if you want to go check it out. It's really cute, guys. She showed it to me. It's really cute. And the best thing about it is it only cost me about 15 grand to start this Airbnb. So versus like a house, if you buy it, it's going to cost you hundreds of thousands of dollars. I bought this camper for $4,000 and then spent $10,000 fixing it up and I was able to make it into a Airbnb unit, which is pretty low cost of entry. And 15 grand is nothing to to snarf at. And there were many times in my life where that was half of my annual income. But being at the place where I am now, that's a very accessible point of entry to real estate. And it's funny how your view changed, you know, the more streams of income and the more you built your wealth. Well, and I don't have debt anymore other than my house. I have assets that are actively making me money every month. Oh, I didn't even talk about like stock 
I want to get your opinion on that too. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I want her to write, write this. Can, can you write a book? Have you written a book? I have not. Another I, stream I of income to. you can tap into. I should. I really should. It's very intimidating. I really feel like you could do that. Take all your YouTube channels and just have <laughs> someone just write them all. Just write them all. Or all your videos yeah. and someone just so like write them all. BudgetBurl.com has a lot of, if you're a reader instead of a watcher, it has a lot of guides and articles on how to do things like this, especially a lot of real estate stuff because it's very easy to put things there. And I also like to hyperlink my Amazon affiliate store for everything I bought in there, which is another stream of income. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh my gosh. Well, going into this, and this is something that we want to talk about generally. What are, and you probably have so many, so you might have to take a second, but what are your top three tips on saving money? There are so many. I could talk about it all day and I would if you don't stop me. So first I would say to identify your irregular spending. So you have your fixed expenses, which is your rent, your car payment if you have one, insurance, phone, stuff like that. But look at your variable spending and see what could move the needle. So I'm not saying you need to cut your Taco Bell habit in half, but perhaps you could do some things to decrease that, even $20 a month. And that $20 a month, you could then put towards debt, towards your emergency fund, or something else that you are dreaming of doing with money. Next, I know you said how to save, but I'm going to say is to have an emergency fund. No matter how you get that money there, I think everyone needs at least a month's worth of expenses, ideally at least three, set in a savings account that they do not touch, and that is for emergencies. And why do we need savings for emergencies? So that you don't have to take on debt for an emergency. It is amazing to have a tire blow or something in your car start smoking or something bad to happen in your life. And all of a sudden that emergency fund that you forgot about pops up in the back of your brain and suddenly you have the money to deal with an emergency versus it being a compounding emergency where not only did I have this emergency, but I don't know how to pay for it. And so you get to borrow from yourself instead of taking on debt. And my third tip for saving money would be to figure out what it is that you truly value. Figure out what you love, what really makes you light up and what makes you happy, and then stop spending on anything that doesn't. Now, that doesn't include like taxes or housing, but you know what I'm going for here. Wow. Absolutely. Like you said, I love how you said in the beginning of the episode, like you literally said... I don't value cars. So why would I put my money into a car payment when that's not something that brings me joy? No, not that I love car payments anyway. I've actually never had a car payment. I was extremely privileged and we should recognize our privilege anytime that comes up here that my family gave me a car. It was a piece of crap, but it was a car when I was 16 and it had holes in the floor. It was from the sixties, but it ran and that allowed me to get to jobs. And when I crashed that accidentally, I was able to save up some money and purchase another car with cash, $2,500. It was a Chevy tracker. It did not have AC. I drove it for five years and I lived in Mississippi and Louisiana. Sacrifices were made Ladies, sacrifices wow. were made. Oh, yes. Uh, yeah. I drove to car every day with like my windows down and my head out because it got so humid and foggy and muggy. 
but I will never complain again. <laughs> I will never complain again. Yeah. And so now I've bought cash cars ever since. And I actually buy salvage cars, which I don't know if you know this, but if you get into a car accident and your insurance you know, writes the car out and sends you a check, often they sell those cars at auction to mechanics who fix those cars and sell them with a salvage title. What's the difference between a salvage title and a regular title? You can't get a loan for a salvage title. But if you have cash, then you can purchase a salvage title car, get it inspected by a mechanic that is not the one you bought it from. But often the difference is the insurance company has to run all these algorithms. You know, we don't have any rental cars available for this person. It might just be like a front, a small front end collision that didn't affect the frame. The same mechanic that they would have paid to fix it and hand it back to you. But because of your insurance contracts that they have to provide a rental car or there's not enough time or the mechanics don't have the parts or something that would have extended that length out, they just write it off. And so I've driven past two cars have been salvage cars. It's the nicest car I've ever owned. It's a 2016 Nissan Versa Note. It has a clicky locks, which is the height of luxury for me. It's got like Bluetooth. I'm thrilled. I need nothing else. Also, it's a hatchback, so I can bring home my side of the road yard cell finds. The things that matter. Yeah, the things that matter. You would be, I have an entire series on my Instagram at GoBudgetGirl of things I fit in my hatchback, and that includes an entire couch, multiple full-size doors, large chairs, lumber, bookcases. I have mad Tetris skills that I'm actually more proud of than my budgeting skills. I love that. That's like, again, like you said, it's about what you value. It's about where your values lie when it comes to things like that. And like some people do want to, I mean, down here in Miami, especially sports cars, everything that just like looks the part, but it's like you can get so much further with Something that just gets you to from point A to point B, if that's what you need. And I also wasn't devastated when I spilled half a gallon of paint in my trunk because I don't care about the car and I paid cash for it <laughs> during one of my DIYs. <laughs> well, okay. So seeing that you paid cash for your car, you didn't finance the car. So what are your tips for financing and what do you recommend financing versus what do you not recommend financing? I love this question. I actually have an entire article on budgetgirl.com and a video on youtube.com slash budgetgirl on what to finance and what to not. The long and shorts of it are finance your education if you need to, finance a house, finance medical because your health is more important than any amount of money. Do not finance pets, clothing, plants, I'm in a kind of a plant group and there are some very expensive plants out there. People are spending like $400, $600, $1,200 for a pink princess philodendron. Do not finance those, please. Ideally, if it is a want, save up for it. If it is a need. Finance. Okay, so here's my question. Going off of this, this is like a personal question because I have varying opinions and I've gotten varying advice on this. So long story short... I was very blessed and privileged to have a same, like an older car from my parents. Mm -hmm. Well, that car got completely totaled from the hailstorm we had a couple years ago, like completely totaled. Like my dad said, it looked like someone took a shotgun to the car. <laughs> I mean, it was so bad. Yeah. And so I'm married. Andrew and I do have plans. My husband and I have plans on having kids in the future, like in the future. And so the next car we got, I had to keep that in mind of, you know, okay, I keep cars, you know, and I'm not like, I'm not really into 
buying cars and leasing them and then upgrading and doing all these trades and stuff like that. That's just not something that, again, interests me. So I'm like, I just want a car that I know can hold the amount of kids that we potentially want to have, be safe, you know, have some safe features for little kids and babies. And that will like last me, have pretty good gas mileage and last me, you know, for a while. And so we had the money to put down almost the entire payment of the car, but we were told that it would be smarter to invest some of that money, put some down when we have a super low interest rate and the money that we'd make over that five to eight years, depending on how much we decided or how long we decided to make the payments and then put the rest down, we could make more investing some of that money and then paying monthly. Does that make sense? My, my kind of like yeah, my yeah. situation. Okay. So first off, a car salesman is usually going to try to do what's best for them, not what's best for you. However, it does sound like they were trying to give you some options. So what was the interest rate? Oh, I, that's a great question. I should know this answer, but it was very low. And I asked multiple people, it was a lower interest rate. Okay. Because you can generally expect like a seven to 10% return from the stock market. Not this year. Nope. Bad year for that this year, but that's okay. The stock market will fix herself. She always does. Do not panic sell. So, and you're just cracking up over this. <laughs> she will fix herself. She's having a bad day. She'll bounce back. This is her self-talk. Yeah, she always has. No, the swings and whims of the stock market has never scared me. I am a buy index funds as in the total stock market and chill person. Yeah, just leave her alone. Forget about it. She's fine. She's fine. So it depends on the timing. It depends on the interest rate. So if you are paying 3% on a car versus potentially getting 7% in the stock market, once again, not a great year for it. It also depends on how much you value debt. So with your income, how much percentage of your income is this car payment? If you have savings, which are probably not growing really, if it's you've got savings at like 1% or less, and it's not your emergency fund, then you're essentially paying 3% to not touch your savings, which is growing at 1%, which doesn't necessarily make sense. Use the savings, pay for the car, then you don't have the monthly payment. You can do other things with that money, including invest if you want to. But if I had the 3% interest rate and I, the stock market's growing, you said like seven, we'll say saved, obviously not this year. Not this year. But 7% <laughs> over the amount of time... Yeah, and that would be four over like four to five years or six to eight years, something like that. And then I get that four percent though. If I put that three percent, you know, back into the interest, and then I have that four percent, then I've made that four percent, right? It depends year over year. We're currently in a recession. A recession usually lasts about seven years. I would say it has more to do with your monthly budget than with how you can work the numbers, because you can always flex the numbers to try to work around. And are you really going to be investing? Or like if you have this pocket of $10,000 in savings, are you really just going to plop that in, that entire thing into the stock market? Oh, we've been investing. Now I'm concerned for myself. Are you investing like oh. the monthly payment difference? Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not judging. Yeah. I'm not judging at all. There are a lot of things to do. It matters what you value. Would you rather value not having the debt or are you willing to we I have a the wiggle risky. room to be able to do it comfortably where I'm not concerned mm-hmm. too much because I have, again, have worked multiple jobs since I was 15, saved up as much money as possible, was trying to be frugal in different areas of my life that, again, didn't matter. 
to me as much. And so we were able, you know, and you had a higher risk tolerance. Yeah. So I wasn't as concerned about that, but in my mind and how I grew up, it was always like, if you don't have the money to buy it, don't buy it. You know, and we did, it was just, we were told. But then it's like, you also believe the opposite to be true. So because it was like, if you don't have the money to buy it, then don't buy it. We also believe if you do have the money to buy it, then go ahead and buy it. And what budget girl is telling us is, Kind of like what my dad said, when I finished college within a year, I was like, oh my gosh, I could pay my college funds off in cash, falling on them. Like, I'm so cool. My dad was like, stop being silly. And I was like, what? He's like, that's silly. I said, but all my friends are paying off their student loans. Like, they're bragging about it, you know. And he's like, Abby, your student loans accrue. Mine, I think, accrue like 2% interest a year or like less than 2% interest a year. And he's like... That money, you can pay off all your student loans. Say it was, I think for me, it was only like 8,000 bucks. But he's like, you can dump the 8,000 bucks there or you can dump it in the stock market, like you said, grow that at a fast pace while decreasing my student loans at a slower pace. That way I'm making more money than I'm losing. So I'm making money. Yeah. And it's, it's a risk tolerance thing too. And it's also like, do you have parents that are encouraging you to invest? Do you have parents that are really scared of debt? Do you have like, I grew up with my grandparents actually. So they were very much like money under the mattress, kind of great depression folks. And it depends on your upbringing. It depends on your risk tolerance. Mm -hmm. And also you have to think of, you know, if you're fresh out of college, you fund your Roth IRA a couple of years in a row you're going to be set at retirement. So my husband, you and my husband would be best friends. Abby, you know, Sarah and Andrew would be best friends because they share so many of the same opinions. I am a lot less tolerant to debt though, because the way I started, I was so money insecure and I had all this debt that was really just weighing me down like an anchor. I hate debt. I won't go into debt for a car. I'll go into debt for an income appreciating house that makes me money. That can maybe hurt your risk tolerance when it comes to big real estate investments or opportunities that you may be afraid of because it may initially have debt. Yeah, you're completely right. I also keep a very large savings pool because just of my personal background with money. I keep probably more savings than I necessarily need to because I really value that emergency fund more so than I value investing. It gives you that comfort and that safety Mm -hmm. net of of always going through and feeling like if I lose my job tomorrow, and this is a big thing for everyone. If you lose your job tomorrow, what does that mean for you? Can you afford to live the next month? And I'm good for more than a year if, if I lose every single stream of income that I have. And that's of great comfort to me. It also, because I have so much savings, allows me to take advantage of opportunities that might come up within real estate, which is my current big area of interest where I can put more cash towards that. But yeah, I have a lot of savings rather than a lot of investments, which are more flex. And if you are trying to purchase a high income item like a home, you don't want to be keeping that money in the stock market because as we can see, stock market goes free fall right now. So if you needed to suddenly pull that money out, it wouldn't necessarily all be there and we only lose money when we sell. So it very much depends on who you are, what you value, um, I like and the plan that. you have yeah. for your money. No one can judge you for that. No one should, because guess what? They're not spending your money and they're not coming to save you if you make a mistake. I tend to be a little bit more conservative fiscally, and that's great. But if you're willing to hang on to your student loan debt at such a low interest rate, which is fantastic, mine was 7.7%. 
<laughs> it yeah. had to go. Yeah. Then that's fantastic. And I know a lot of people who are doing very well with money. It's about having a plan and being willing to stick to that plan. Absolutely. I love that. That's a really good insight for people because again, it's just like what we learn. It seems so cookie cutter, but you have to really look at all the elements around that plan. And again, like you said, stick to it. Yeah. Personal finance is personal. Absolutely. Who would have thunk it? (laughs) Absolutely. I love that. Well, just random fact, I think it would have been cool to tell you too. My risk tolerance is low because my parents are immigrants and I'm first generation. So that's another reason why finance and financial literacy was so important to us because they've had nothing before. And so they're like, you are never going to have nothing or else we're all going to crumble and die. But then I also have a great support system if something does happen because of the community we have. But I think that's important to share like your background, because like you said, all of your personal finance are not only based off of your personal finance, but also your background, your upbringing, your values, the resources that you do have. Yeah, absolutely. So when I was kind of coming out into the world post-college, I didn't have any sort of family support. So yeah, I had to be a little bit more conservative. I had to be kind of very sure in myself in every position I took because no one was coming to save me. And that is amazing that you had that parental support and guidance, but also a lot of pressure coming from immigrants who know how, I imagine, wish that they would have your privileges of that familiar support. Oh, absolutely. So, yeah. Absolutely. Personal finance, so personal, so important to figure out what is right for you and your life because you're the only one that has to live it and spend it. And also, yeah, to absolutely recognize the privileges, support, and negatives that other people have to go through to even get to where you are. I feel so grateful that I have am of sound mind and sound body because that is everything in building wealth. I yes. mean, to be born with some sort of disease or condition can set you back infinitely for life, mostly because of American healthcare. And That's a huge problem in our country. So even if you are born into, you know, suburb middle-class America, if you just so happen to be born with some sort of medical issue, that can brunt your earning ability and your wealth building ability for life, which is so unfortunate. So we all come from different places and we have to do what's best for us. Yeah, seriously. Well... That could lead us to our last question. If you had to give our homegirl hustlers any other tips to control of money and budget for the life of their dreams, do you have any additional tips? I know we were just going again kind of into this, like be grateful, pay attention to your privilege as well in this process, but any other tips that maybe we didn't think about? Like last tips, because we're now we're finishing the episode here, we're wrapping it up. So gotcha. any of your, and again, if you need some, a minute to think, you can, but if you had anything else to say or share, what would that be? No, I think I got this. So last tips, I would recommend that every single person listening to this develop a bit of a goals list of what they want to do with their life and with money and how money can help them achieve that. Then pick something and work towards it. Work towards it really really hard 
and mark your progress along the way. So what I did when I was paying off debt is not only did I keep post-it notes with my decreasing debt number on it every month, I filled in a debt-free chart that showed my progress along the way. And you can get some of those free at budgetworld.com slash free. But every time I paid off $5,000 worth of debt, I rewarded myself and I marked that milestone, whether it was a night out with a really special meal halfway through my debt, I went and visited a friend and we went to Universal, but don't forget to live your freaking life and to find joy in life, even while you're sacrificing for your future. It is so important to not just let the days go by. It's important to be working for something and that will help you find fulfillment in both your personal life and with your money. Be brave. Yes. I literally think this was honestly one of the most engaging episodes that Abby and I have had with the guests too, with how you talk about this topic. Like that is inspiring to me. And I am someone who When I was in fifth grade, my math teacher gave me a book that was called Math Doesn't Suck because I hated it so much. And I am like, I have a disease for Excel spreadsheets. You probably, again, won't want to be my friend because I hate Excel. It just gives me anxiety. But I've like never heard someone again, people have given advice and they said things like that, but I've never heard it put the way you put it. And that's again, why I think you're so empowering and you have so many people who are watching and subscribing and listening because You are there to make it easy, make it simple, make it fun, make it exciting, make it doable, attainable, reachable for people who even like me, yes, I've had so much privilege in my life of, you know, having my parents help me out in different phases of life, you know, even being married and now having a husband and we can kind of work on things together, having a partner to go through life with all that stuff. But even to me, it's like, I've been almost afraid of different things because it doesn't naturally come to me. I don't naturally understand the numbers like some other people do. And so for me, it's like, it breaks it down to where I'm able to understand things and come at it with an attainable mindset. And I know it's not just me, it's so many of the people who too aren't as privileged who can listen to this. If they just have a phone or some type of thing and Wi-Fi, they can listen to it and they can understand and start building it for themselves. So really appreciate, you know, everything you're doing on your YouTube and all your social platforms, sharing that knowledge and being so open with it and in a positive way, in such a positive way. Thank you. And just FYI, no one is born knowing how to do personal finance. No one is born knowing money. (laughs) Nobody. You might get taught or you might have to teach yourself, but no one is born with that. It's a step-by-step process and you learn how to do it a little bit better every week, every month, every year. Well, I'm just going to tell you, I'm going home and I have tried two different apps in the last year that I have not stuck to for budgeting and it has not gone very well for me when it comes to like keeping up with it because I'll get excited. I'm like, oh, I'm starting this new app and I'm going to keep up with it. And even Abby was asking me, I remember personal questions yesterday. I said, I should know more about this, but here's my general budget information. And she's like, okay, okay. And I'm like, I really feel like I need to get more in depth of like the clarity of exact numbers because that again gives you that control. It does. My favorite thing to do every single month, and this is the only reason I reconcile, is because I want to see how much money is left over so that I can then send it at my next money goal. I love that. But you can't do that unless you reconcile your budget and you type in every single expense that you made and then you do the pluses and the minuses and you see how much is left over. And that's what's fun. I don't like doing it. Nobody likes doing it. Well, somebody might like doing it, but they're weird. But (laughs) that's okay. I love it. I love it. What I like 
is closing out my budget and seeing how much money I have left. And I get to go, yeah, I did the damn thing. And I get to send that money to what I'm trying to do next, which is usually my next real estate goal. But I also get to see like, damn it, I invested a bunch of money this month. I saved a bunch of money this month. I made it through this. It's like a high. Yeah. You're talking to me and I'm like, she's like, like this whole like experience. No, seriously, like budgeting, it changes a lot about your outlook on money. And I will say even like this year, I've been traveling a lot, for example, but people don't know for the last four years, I have kept a very tight travel budget and we couldn't travel for three years. So where's my travel budget going to 2022? So like, you don't understand that that wasn't a hard decision for me. I'm not like, oh my gosh, I'm throwing money away. It's like, no, I put this money aside for this exact purpose. It didn't get spent over three years. I'm fine going through it in the next couple of years because I've saved it all up. And if you don't have that awareness, it makes you so anxious every time you buy a ticket, every time you swipe a card, every time you do something. Abby, you hit the nail on the head. Spending money that you've saved for a purpose makes it 10 times sweeter. Like it you is, earned it. You earned it. You saved for it. You can do it without a single bit of guilt. If you've been saving that money for a travel, you don't have to suddenly walk around on vacation being like, oh, I, I you know, I want to do this, but I shouldn't because, you know, it's high budget or like I have to charge it. Like you get to walk around like a baller. And be like, I have been saving for this. I am the princess. Take I'm the over insta. Here like, Give me the margaritas. Yes. <laughs> yes. Do it. And it makes that vacation or spending that money that you've saved for it so much sweeter. What were you going to say, Abby? I was going to say, knowing Hannah since we were eight years old, she was terrible at math. I will let everybody know that it is possible to get better. Okay. Like, Hannah, you're discrediting yourself. You own a business. I know I do a lot of the math, but she really gives it her strongest. She's able to keep up if I talk a little slower, (laughs) but like she can keep up now because she's learned it. It is very much learnable. And like even just seeing her aspire to learn more makes me happy because it shows like you're completely capable. So I want Hannah, who's talking down on herself, to also be a testimony to those girls that are like, not for me, not for me, not for me, because you can do it too. Like, it's truly. I will say, Abby, in addition to that, it's really sad. I mean, again, I'm I'm privileged enough to go to college, and I love what you said. It, It reminds me to be grateful. You bring it back to even being grateful to be healthy, to be alive, and not have medical bills. I mean, you can wake up and be thankful every single day. That was a great point. But even just seeing a lot of girls my age, they go to college, whether they have college debt or not, they go out into the real world and it's like money comes in, payday, I get to spend it all. And all these girls, it's sad, like a lot of them I've known and I'm not super close to as much anymore for different reasons, but I see them and it's just like, it's all for show. They're spending all their money all the time. If they got into a car accident tomorrow or something happened where they needed to emergency spend even $400, they would not have the money to put to that. And I just, I, again, that hurts me because again, I, I, like Abby said, like I, I grew up not being, I'm not really great with math at all. And that was a big conscious, like a self-conscious thing for me because a lot of my friends were really good at that. And I just was never, it never came naturally to me. And I would work so hard. Abby knows my work ethic comes from working so hard at school to be able to show up and get maybe a B on a math test that someone else could get an A on easily. And, you know, I'm able to, though, see that struggle in myself and find people like you or find people like Abby who 
have a little bit more patience and talk a little bit more to my language and I can like learn and grow. And it doesn't mean I don't, it doesn't mean that's an excuse for me to say, oh, it doesn't come naturally to me. So I'm just going to spend all my money and go into debt. Yeah. I hated math and I wasn't good at it. In fact, I took college algebra, which is my only bachelor of arts degree math class at a community college one summer because I didn't think I could pass it at my university. You? I am not good at math. That's why I use a spreadsheet. It does the math for me. I'm over here like this girl was accounting finance genius over here. Like she's speaking. You do not have to be good at math to be good at money. And spreadsheets can do the math for you. Like mine, if I change a number, it changes all the other numbers for me. Yeah, I have. And I I didn't make it. It was a template that. I know the percentages because I I made the percentages calculate. I don't do any math by myself. I use my phone to calculate tips. She's you do not have to be good at math to be good at money. No, this is not the same thing. You're talking about okay. math. I don't do math. And I'm like, the percentages of this and this and this, I'm like, oh. My spreadsheet does that for me. I'll give you my budgeting spreadsheet. You can try it out. I'm going to. If I, the apps aren't working, you can try my spreadsheet. Yeah, the apps aren't working. It's definitely a short-term high of like putting all your stuff in and getting excited about doing something. And then I went back like one month and I went to check it. And I'm like, okay. And then I did all the stuff. And then I was like, no. no. You need something that probably you can access on your phone. Yeah. So you can see how much money you have left in each category. And you need to like make a money date with yourself to check in. Who a money date? Yeah, maybe like it involves a margarita. Yeah, maybe like every Friday at lunch, you fill in like if you're using a debit card or a credit card or something, you put those into your budget every Friday at five. I really would recommend doing it every day while you get used to it and you get a budget established. I now do it every week or every other week because my habits are very ingrained. But yeah, to start out, I would every time you make a purchase, just drop. I'm it taking in. your advice. Abby will hold me accountable. Abby knows she will hold me accountable. But I feel like this is honestly a great place to end because I feel like Sarah has given us so many tips and we just talked in this last two minutes about how we can actually take those tips and make them tangible. She mentioned her website multiple times, budgetgirl.com, and then there's slash free if you want some of her free resources. Yes, that she already has available. She has spreadsheets. She has all this stuff made out. So I'm personally going to be using that. She also, guys, again, if we haven't shouted out her YouTube channel enough, she has a YouTube channel, Budget Girl, on YouTube or www.youtube slash Budget Girl, correct? Mm-hmm. So go check out her videos. And I know she talks about like her real estate endeavors that she's interested in and she'll take you along on those journeys, the highs and lows of different facets of her financial journey. And then she, again, you know, has really put these things to the test for years on end. So she's definitely an expert in all these things. So go check her out. And again, we hope that for all of our note takers and all of our homegirl hustlers listening today, that you're able to take a bunch of notes on all of her amazing tips. And I'm sure we'll have her back on another episode because there'll be so much more to talk about. But we need to revisit your budget after a few months of you working on it. I will see how that goes. Sarah's going to message me on Instagram and be like, so how's your budget going? (laughs) I'll be like, great. No, I will. I will. Like, I mean it. Abby knows if I say I'm going to do something, I'm very keen on my word. But thank you, Sarah, for joining us and for the time taking to educate us all on this topic. And thank you, Homegirl Hustlers, for giving us a listen. Make sure to go on Instagram, too, and follow her. Subscribe to her YouTube channel. And we'll see you guys next week for another episode of the Homegirl Hustlers. Bye. Bye.